So this is uh, translated from a recorded talk. So it's uh, the one pra, the lunar observance day, the day that we recite the Padimokha. It's an opportunity for any of the senior monks from the branch monasteries to come together. And uh, that's why we are re- listening to the recitation during the day. Usually it's at night, but it's more convenient uh, for the monks to travel um, if we do this recitation during the day. And uh, during the rains retreat, that's what happened at what Nambapong, that Lumpucha, he decided to have this recitation during the daytime so that the members of branch monasteries were close by. They could come together to listen to the Padimokha, listen to the teachings on Dhamma as well, listen to the Vinaya on the monastic code, and also to get pointers on the path of practice. And even though there sometimes were cars at some of the branch monasteries, Lumbucha would sometimes get the monks to walk to Wat And going there and back could be 21 kilometers that the monks would have to walk. They would eat their meal in the morning and then set off straight away, walk 10 and a half kilometers, and then listen and then walk back 10 and a half kilometers and do this every two weeks for the whole of the three months rains retreat. And even though there may have been a car to travel in, he was training these monks to practice well, to not ask for a lift, to not ask for family members to come and pick them up, but rather to walk. And so that's what he said, to not tell any relatives that don't go and harass your relatives. And this was his means of training the monks to not just follow their desires, but rather to be really focused on this practice, to be focused on the vinaya, to be following the Dhamma and the vinaya. And this is how Lumpucha taught his disciples to build up their endurance. And in the ways that they traveled, to have endurance in the ways that they lived their lives, so that they increasingly gained this quality of kanti. And so he uh, taught us um, to be really intent to follow this path of practice, to follow the Dhamma Vinaya. So for myself, when I was living with him, my family, they left some money at the monastery for my use. And at the monastery, we just had very hard bristled toothbrushes, and when I used those, uh, my gums would bleed. So I asked one of the laymen who stayed at the monastery, who was helping out the monks, to go and get a toothbrush. But Lumpucha, he said this wasn't appropriate, uh, that we shouldn't go and use the lay people in this way. And that I was thinking that there was a problem and that I would go tell the layperson and it would solve the problem. 
that my family had left this money for my use, and so there wouldn't really be a problem in doing that. But as I contemplated what he told me, that this was inappropriate, I was able to accept that. That as I carried on, as I got older, I stayed in the robes longer, then this teaching became more clear to me. Really, he was just teaching us that we should be well restrained within the veneer, within this monastic code, and that if we needed anything, we should tell him instead. We shouldn't go and ask the lay people for it. And so if there really is a need, then we tell our teacher, and he may give that thing for us, he may provide that for us. But we should tell him. If we're sick in some way, then he'll know about our illness, and he may have kindness to help us out in following what is appropriate, what is uh, right for that situation. But we also need to have this endurance first, to have this foundation of kanti within the painful feelings that we're experiencing. So this is true both for the monks and for the novices as well, to endure. And so if we just sort these things out by ourselves, then it's possible the greed that we have will increase and increase. So we need to tell our teacher, to tell the Akruba Ajahn. And uh, so we have this respect for him, and this very... Um, and we rely upon that respect that we have for our teacher. So during one of these range retreats, um, Ajahn Tong, he was spending the vasa at Bungwai Monastery. And he was, he is quite a small person, his, his body is quite small. And his father, had a car and he could easily pick Ajahn Tong up and take him to Wat Nambapong. And the distance that separated these two monasteries was uh, 10 kilometers. But instead, Limpucha told him to not go and ask his parents for a lift. He told him to each, for each Padimoka recitation, each two weeks, to walk um, this distance over 10 kilometers uh, to the monastery, and then when the Padimokha had finished, to walk back to where he was staying. And so the distance, it's about the same as from here to Banpe. So as soon as he finished eating, he would head off, and then had to leave the monastery right after the Padimokha. And then when he got back to the place where he was staying, then he would have to chant and lead the lay people in sitting meditation throughout the night. And so this is the means that the Krubhajan, these great teachers, um, train us in having this patient endurance. And they look at the situation as well. And so you could probably tell Ajahn Tong's personality and could see that in the time that it took him to walk this distance, the two and a half hours there and then two and a half hours back, it's actually a very good opportunity to be meditating to be doing walking meditation, both there and back. And so there wasn't any time that was wasted. That if he was walking, he really had his attention on what he was doing on his body, then the mind could easily gather into peace. 
So the great teachers, and Dumpucha, he had his skillful means like this. And this was his skillful means of getting Ajahn Tong to meditate, increasing his respect, increasing the faith that he had. And so all of these great teachers, they have their methods. And uh, so we should really listen to them. So having come and ordained, we need, uh, for this current generation, we really need to try and practice in these ways as well. So to be taking up these ways of practice that Lumpucha taught. It's like sitting in meditation for long periods. That the samadhi is something that's very important to cultivate, getting the mind to gather together. And when it does, it can do so at different points. It can come together at the nose or over the heart, at different points in the body. And the samadhi it can become very compact. We recite Buddha, Dhammo, and Sangha, and this can become very compact in different parts of the body. And uh, it can feel like the body kind of gathers together, and it feels like a rock. And there's a lot of happiness in this state. And when the mind is like this, then the various sense impressions can't gain entry into it, because there's this great firmness to the samadhi. There's coolness in the heart, there's brightness there as well. The peace gathers together in this way. And we see that our practice is not wasted in any way. When the mind is peaceful, then we know that it's like this. And then when it leaves that point, then we come and contemplate the body, seeing the body as being a collection of elements, as being empty, as being not-self. So we train ourselves in these ways of practice. Train ourselves in enduring first as well. And following the teachings of the great teachers, enduring with the painful feelings that we experience, and we can put up with these. And so we do things like this. Because we shouldn't be taking external things as a refuge, as something that we rely upon. Perhaps lay people offer something, or they don't, but we shouldn't be asking them for things. We should take this up as a principle for how we live our lives. And so we just endure with it. And perhaps these things, they will come all by themselves. Perhaps the lay people will come to offer them by themselves. And then when the monastery gets these requisites, then it's shared out between all the monks. And they come through the barami of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. But we see that now the gains that are coming to the monastery is increasing, especially so with us being in eastern Thailand, that we have an abundance of clothing, of shelter, of food, of medical requisites. But even though we have all these things, we shouldn't be heedless in them. But we just carry on with the practice. At Wat Nombapong, there wasn't any electricity in the monastery initially. And on the lunar observance days, they would start up a generator to have electricity in the hall. But there were many problems with this, and it was very difficult to fix. Uh, so eventually they needed to take electric wires through 
the monastery I'm using the public electricity supply, and this was due to the necessity of it. And it's the same here at this monastery, that initially there wasn't any electricity, but we needed to use a water pump. So we initially used a very basic one, and then that got many problems and was very difficult to use. So uh, we had to bring electricity into the monastery to pump the water. And so this um, happened due to the necessity of it. And then the electricity got taken to, or the water rather, got uh, pumped around to the different places, the communal places in the monastery, to the communal bathrooms, to the kitchen, for instance. So when we have things like this, when we have running water and electricity, we need to know how to use them well, to not be heedless in them. Initially, when we first started up this monastery, there was nine monks and one novice staying here. And the food then was just about enough. But as the number of monks increased, it got up to 19, 20 monks, then the kitchen wasn't able to supply food uh, for all of these monks. And they tried to cook up enough food every single day because we had to eat every single day but it became very burdensome on the kitchen, too much of a burden. So eventually we had to get a vehicle so that we could take monks into the local town to go on arms round. And uh, so things kind of developed in this way. And they do so um, in dependence upon the causes and conditions that in some places, in some monasteries, there are, there's a village close by and the lay people are able to offer enough food to the monks when they go on arms round there. So we have to look at what's appropriate for each location, the different places, they aren't the same in these ways. And so this is the external standards of practice that we're looking at and they're they're different in different places. Like how some places they have computers in the monastery, in other places they don't have any phones. But what's important is that however we're living, we do so with a sense of being frugal and content with little, content with what we get. What's also important is that the way in which we conduct ourselves in the monastery should be the same as when we leave the monastery as well. That it's not that when we're in the monastery we keep very strict standards, but when we leave and go out, then we drop all of those standards. And when we stayed with Lumpucha, this just was unacceptable. We couldn't live in that way that if monks stayed in the monastery and they were very strict, but they left, they went out on Tudong and they threw all of that away, and then they came back to the monastery, then this was unacceptable. These monks couldn't stay there. And so we need to be taking up these standards of practice to be looking after the vinaya, both when we're in the monastery and outside of the monastery as well. That when we leave, we need to be taking up the vinaya taking the vinaya, this monastic code, with us as well, to be well-restrained, to be cautious, to be content with little. 
to have peace within our hearts, to be samanas. And so we need to do this consistently without letting up. And in what Nambapong, that's how things were. Need to be very restrained. So back in those days, the laity, for most of them, they didn't have any vehicles. And if a monk or if a monastery owned a vehicle, it would look quite bad. It would look like the monks were living in a very luxurious way. But now times are different, and almost every household has a car. So it doesn't look bad for a monastery to have a car as well. And most often, to just use quite an old vehicle, and that's all right to do. So the lay people, they don't think anything bad about this. And uh, we also need to look at what's appropriate for, or for time and for place as well. And that here in the east of Thailand, the lay people, they don't have so much free time. They have to be looking after their fruit orchards all day. And so they don't have the time to be driving the monks around. And so then it's appropriate for a monastery to have a car and also for there to be someone in the monastery who can drive as well. So they don't have to be annoying the lay people all the time to be a burden on them. So we need to look at the situation, to look at causes and conditions, to look at the reasoning of things, to know these things. And it's the same as when monks stay overseas as well, that it's very tough to find lay people who can take care of the monks or drive the monks. Or the lay people have to go off to work and they just don't have the time to do this. And so they need to adjust how they live there as well. They need to use systems that are appropriate for overseas. And so it depends on the way that the lay community lives, the way that society is, where the monastery is. And these differ in different places. And so now things are becoming more developed and the people in society, they have less time than they did before. So it's more necessary for the monks to be somewhat self-reliant. And so there are reasons for these different ways of practice. But we also have to really be careful around this as well. And um, this is true for both the junior monks and also for the senior monks as well. Something that we need to be especially careful with, cell phones. And those monks who don't yet have many reins, they shouldn't have these. But it is necessary for the abbot and for others in the monastery, the senior monks and those who have duties, Ajahn Somchai, those who have to help out with the work, those who are engaged in publishing Dharma books, and that they need these in order to work. And it's too much of a burden for the abbot if it's only the abbot who has a phone. And so we need to share these duties, and it's necessary for some others to have phones as well. But for those monks who just have a few range retreats, it's not appropriate for them to have one, and I don't give my permission for them to have them either. Because we need to be restrained, and these things are very dangerous. And how are they dangerous? Well, it's natural that for lay people, they may 
like a certain monk, they may have respect for some monks, and so they may want to chat with that monks, with that monk. And this just wastes the time that we would use otherwise meditating. And it's really important for those monks who are quite new to be sincere in practice, in meditation. And if we don't use our time well, then we're wasting our time. And we can waste that by just chatting with people. And so it's inappropriate for a summoner, for a renunciant to act in this way. But we need to be cautious, we need to be restrained. And this is true also for the abbots. It's not just for the more junior monks, for the other monks in the monastery. So now that technology is more developed, we need to be cautious around these things. So when I was staying at Wadnamapong, we didn't have any computers. So I was doing some work with documents. And um, so we had to try to use other means to get these done. And now, here at this monastery, we do have some computers, but we haven't brought the internet in. And uh, if we have the internet, then we're able to send the mind out all over the entire world. And so it's very dangerous. And so we do need to have this restraint, this composure, that if we just allow our minds to follow all of these sense impressions, then it's very difficult to make them peaceful. So we need to have the sense of composure, the sense of contentment with little, to be restrained within the monastic code. Because it was only with great difficulty that the Buddha was able to attain to awakening, and that he was able to lay down this veneer. So we must look after it very well. And we really take this on, we take this strictly, because in the future, then we may become the leaders of other monks. We may become the leader of a monastery. And so we need to put our firm intention in now. So today, the opportunity for many monks to come together to listen to the Padimokha, this recitation of the monastic code. Ajahn Tong has come, and many of his friends have come as well, and travelled here. And so may you all have effort, may you all be sincere in this path of practice. We come together, we have this harmony in the community, and we listen to various teachers give talks, hearing their points of view, hearing their thoughts on the Dhamma, on the practice. And then we take those teachings and we put them into practice. We do a lot of sitting meditation, a lot of walking meditation. And this is how we get the mind into peace, that we need to walk a lot, to sit a lot. We can walk for 10 hours a day, sit for 10 hours a day. And if we do this, then the mind will need to become peaceful. And if it's not yet peaceful, then it will become steadily closer to that peace. But if we're not experiencing peace, then don't worry about it. If the mind is just thinking about many different things, if it's not settled or stable, then we just think that we can stay on in the robes, we can just carry on practicing, and we're not wasting our time, we're not wasting our lives in this way. We're getting a lot of benefit from that. That if we're able to stay on as monks, then we must be getting benefit. And so the monks who are here are steadily increasing in 
the number of rain retreats that you have, and we should all be helping each other out in the work of the monastery. Like in producing Dharma books, we help each other out in this. And now there's a monk who can translate, and who is translating into Portuguese. And uh, this has great benefit, that he's able to take the teachings, the Dhamma of the Buddha, and is able to spread these overseas to people who don't understand Thai, that we translate them into the languages that they speak uh, in different countries. And this is very important to do that. It brings great benefit to the laity. And so all of us, we should be really sincere. We should be restrained, composed, cautious, to have this firm intention to carry out our duties and to be people who are focused and intent on this path of practice. And for the novices here, to be really intent on your studies in learning. And this is one of the great blessings of our lives. So may all of you set your hearts on this.